you brought your Bible with you or you'd like to use one in the back of the pew in front of you, turn with me to the book of Hebrews chapter 10. The New Testament book of Hebrews chapter 10, we will read verses 1 to 18. Here at First Baptist Carl Junction, we are about 60 sermons into a series in the book of Mark. And so I have found it particularly refreshing to study something else. <laughs> and I think I might not be the only one this morning. We're going to pick up in rooted series in the book of Hebrews and think about Christ this morning. What I want to share with you is how his sacrifice is once and for all time. With all that in mind, we're going to read Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 to 18. This is the word of the Lord. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise... Would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he, that is Christ, added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet, for by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. If you read much at all about 
the Christian life today, you might run into this word, deconstruction. It is, in one sense, a new buzzword going around about the church, but brothers and sisters, it is an ancient threat. The word means a lot of things to different people, but basically, it's the idea of dismantling your faith, tearing down what you have understood so that you can question everything. At its extreme form, you see it in people like the man who wrote, I kissed dating goodbye. Currently, he has kissed Christ goodbye, and for $300, we'll teach you how to do the same. People in their deconstruction often blame, on the inside, hypocrisy. But there's pressure from the outside in our culture and our world to deconstruct our faith as well. Friends, this is not new. The Hebrews were Jewish Christians who were suffering for their faith and were tempted to deconstruct. The saying was, if they would only abandon Christ, they could keep all of their old ways. They could keep all of the Old Testament and be okay. The suffering would be removed. And so the church early on struggled with this idea. Do they still try to live for God and avoid the trouble that comes with Jesus? The point of this whole book is to lift Jesus up so high that idea is absurd. And as our brother encouraged us this morning, it's not rare for people in 2022 to sit in a pew and doubt and deconstruct. Brothers and sisters, this book was written for you. To lift Jesus up so high, it becomes absurd to do anything other than follow him. And as we look at the sacrifice of Jesus, and we see the better prophet, the better priest, the better temple, and the better sacrifice, the writer of Hebrews wants you to know this, brothers and sisters. What a lifetime of good cannot do, Jesus did once for all time. Friend, if you abandon Christ, if you abandon the church of the Lord Jesus Christ and try to live a life of goodness and worship and obedience and and holiness and whatever else you want to call it, you're going to end up empty. Because the Jews tried that and it didn't work. And God sent his son Jesus to do what no law and no effort and no work and no good deed could ever do. And so if you deconstruct from Jesus, you are stepping into no hope. And so today I want to lift up Jesus and his once for all time sacrifice by showing you in this passage four voices that back Christ up. Four voices that preach and proclaim Jesus did it once and for all time. The first voice that we see in this passage in verses 1 to 4 is the weak law. Let's read those verses again. Verse 1, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. 
Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible. It is impossible. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. As I've meditated on these verses, I have uh, found myself singing a song from The Little Mermaid. I'm sure you remember that. Parents with young kids, I know you'll remember it. There's that famous scene where she's in her little underwater cavern singing part of your world. She's looking at all of her collections she has found from humanity above the waters. As she sings this song, she's got gadgets and gizmos aplenty. She's got who's-its and what's-its galore. Thingamabobs, she's got 20. On and on and on. The problem is Ariel does not know how to use any of it. She's clueless about the purpose of this collection. One instance, she takes a fork and tries to comb her hair. Friend, a tool is only as good as its purpose. And if you know its purpose, brothers and sisters, when we swim in the ocean of the Old Testament, we find ourselves a lot like Ariel and we don't know what to do with it all. What is the purpose of the law? What is its use? Why did God bring it to Israel in the first place? You need to know this. The writer shows us two jobs that it was made to do and one that it wasn't. The first job that it was made to do was set the table for Christ. Verse 1, the law has but a shadow of the good things to come. The law is, is not the real thing. The law is a shadow. It was made to represent the real thing. Christ was the real thing. He is the real thing. Many scholars have, have compared this to the difference between an artist drawing that first sketch and the actual masterpiece that comes later on. Brothers and sisters, the law was made to set the table for Christ. The second thing it was made to do was to keep sin on your mind. Did you know that? Verse 3, look at this. But in these, sacrifice, in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. If you want, you can study all of the detail for this in Leviticus chapter 16. But the Jewish people had smaller sacrifices that happened every day, hours on end. But on the Day of Atonement, God set up a national calendar alert, a once-a-year reminder, you are a sinner. This is your rebellion. This is the cost of breaking my law. Friends, when the law is used that way, it's great. It sets the table up for Christ. It reminds us of our sins, but there's one major divine weakness, a flaw that God designed in the law on purpose. It was never made to do this job. The law, in this sense, is like a, a fork trying to comb your hair. The law was never made to deal with your sins. Look at verse 4. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. That was the point the whole time. God designed it with this imperfection to not deal with the sins they represent. 
And just to show you that this was the truth all along, look at Psalm 51, verses 16 and 17. King David recognizes this. He says, For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God, the ones he cares about, are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. I just want you, brothers and sisters, to let this shape how you read the Bible and how you think about your God and think about his plan for salvation. Can I help you with something this morning, brothers and sisters? Jesus Christ is not a great backup plan. The New Testament is not God's divine plan B. Every word of the Old Testament, every sacrifice that was ever made, every prophet that was ever given to the people of Israel was setting the stage for the once and for all time sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. As the New City Catechism teaches our children, what is the purpose of the law? It teaches us the holy nature of God and the sinful nature of our hearts and thus our need for a Savior. And if you listen to Hebrews chapter 10, that's the second voice you hear. I want to show you in verses 5 to 10 the willing Savior who speaks about the once and for all sacrifice. Join me in those verses one more time. Verse 5, consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then Christ added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. These verses are the only New Testament quote of Psalm 40, a psalm sung by David, but the writer of Hebrews does not give David credit. Look at verse 5. It says, Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said. As Tim Keller writes, what we get to listen in on in these verses is an eternal conversation between God the Father and God the Son. They are teaming up together, planning the salvation ahead. And you can hear in this conversation the need for a once and for all action. Jesus says, instead of sacrifices, you want a body. Instead of offerings, I have come to do your will. Friends, this is an elementary doctrine. We celebrate it every year at Christmas, the fact that Jesus came. But will you take a minute to appreciate the willingness of Jesus Christ? How unwilling is it easy to be when someone asks you to do something you don't want to do? How many times do you politely turn down an opportunity to do something that will cost you? But think of the Lord Jesus Christ. He left the glory of heaven willingly to endure a broken creation. He left the honor and praise of the angels 
singing his name over and over again to be rejected and hated and cursed and mocked. He left the heavenly fellowship that was rightfully his only to be denied and betrayed and abandoned on the cross. But Hebrews chapter 2 verse 2 tells us, for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. Now let me ask a question. If the old law was ever supposed to work, if the sacrifices God installed in Leviticus were ever supposed to make people right, if that first plan was supposed to save anybody, why would God the Son willingly come and do any of that? The fact that he did any of it at all is is the proof you need to know that there is no other way. His prayer in the garden, God, if it is your will, spare me, but your will be done. If, if, If that was possible, God would answer that prayer. But the fact that Jesus Christ was willing to do any and all of that he did for you and me is the proof we need that his sacrifice is once and for all. Romans 8, verse 3, for God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. And the writer of Hebrews reinforces all of this at the end of verse 9. I want you to look specifically at the end of verse 9. The writer says, Jesus does away with the first in order to establish the second. He's playing some poet, poetic wordplay here. By, because of the law's sacrifices that never do away with sins, in verse 4, Jesus does away with the sacrifices. Through his execution, he executes the old shadows. Verse 10 says, so that by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. I got an encouraging word for you this morning. What does that mean for you? If you look at verse 10, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Listen, if you belong to Jesus, there is never a second in your life you are not sanctified. In God's eyes, no matter what is going on here, up there, you are holy in his presence. You are righteous right this minute. Usually when we talk about sanctification, it's how we grow. That's not what the writer of Hebrews is talking about. He's talking about a past tense, already happened, already accomplished, once and for all time, sanctified before God. Because of the willingness of Christ, you and I have the righteousness of Christ. Help us to believe that. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. And friends, if that's what Jesus came to do, that's what he did. He does not fail. Believe who you are before God if you belong to Christ. There's a third voice that speaks to the once and for all time sacrifice in this passage, and it's awesome. 
If you've checked out, I want you to come back because you can't miss this voice. The third voice that speaks to the once and for all time sacrifice is the royal seat of Christ. I want you to see that in verses 11 to 14. Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. This contrast could not be any more clear. These verses bring to light how different the old and new are. In verse 11, the old, you see a priest every day making a sacrifice. In verse 12, you see one man making a single sacrifice. But friends, there is one contrast that I beg for you to see this morning. You've got to see it to appreciate what Jesus Christ has done for you. And it's not in anything that anybody says. It's in their body language. It's what they say with their motions and their position. Look at verse 11. What are the priests doing? Standing. Repeatedly working. And what is Jesus doing in verse 12? He sat down. It's the best three words in the passage. And you're probably asking, well, so what? What does that mean? Friend, it means everything. This is the most important detail in Hebrews 10. Listen, if there's one thing that's true in this life, it's that you always got to get back up. Let me show you. You mow that yard. You might sit down after you're done and nod your head and say, that's a pretty good job. That grass is nice. My yard looks sharp. I wish my neighbor would work as hard as me on my yard. But I guarantee you this, especially this time of year, in about five days, you're going to get back up and do it again. You might be the athletic type who likes to stay in shape, and you could have the best CrossFit workout you've ever had in your life and drink all of those nutritious protein drinks and just be pumped. What you going to do in two days? Get back up and do it again. Now listen, some of, some of you people in here, I'm speaking to, to my, my neck of the woods this morning. Some of you are probably saying, no, I'm retired I'm done. I don't have to get back up and go to work. That's okay. You know what? Someone else did for you. Someone else had to keep that business running. Friend, Ecclesiastes tells us that we come and we go, and it just keeps on going on and on and on. Doesn't depend on you. Somebody has got to get back up. The Old Testament priest lived in this reality. Did you know in the tabernacle, God let there be no seats? Man, some of us would really struggle because there were no pews that we could claim as our own. We could not sit down if we were still in the Old Testament tabernacle. 
One writer calls the Old Testament sacrifices a big treadmill routine. And despite all of that activity, they never got to a place where they could stop and rest. Verse 12, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. This royal seat of Jesus declares his work was once and for all. There is no work to be added, and there is never a time in your life if you are in Christ where God needs more from you. It is finished, Jesus Christ said. And the fact that he rose again and ascended and sat at the right hand of God is God the Father's endorsement of it all, his approval of it all. It's the Father saying, yes, it is finished. Friend, there are two ways you can try to live. Every person in this room can live one of these two ways. You can either run on that treadmill and try to work your way to please God and do enough good to earn your way to heaven, or you can stop and trust the Savior who's sitting down. It was true for the Old Testament saints, and it's true for you and me. Listen, friends, a lifetime of obedience and worship will not save you. You can run your whole life for God, and he will not bring you into his kingdom if you do not trust Jesus Christ, who's already done. Jesus died so that you wouldn't have to run, and he rose again so that you wouldn't have to stand. It is finished, brothers and sisters. Have you come to a place where you have stopped and sat down and trusted that work for your life? Or are you still running? Friend, if you are trying to please God with your own works, hear the call of the gospel. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21. For our sake, God made Christ to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Christ we might become the righteousness of God. Friend, if God has brought you here and is calling you to himself, be reconciled to him, not by trying to do something for him, but trusting what Jesus has done for you. But my brothers and sisters in Christ, I want you to hear this final word for you today. This remains true for you from now to eternity if you belong to him. His work counts for you every single day, once and for all. And to show you how sweet this is, I want you to hear the last voice in this passage. In verses 15 to 18, God gives us some powerful promises. Look at these verses with me. The Holy Spirit also bears witness to us, for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them, after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. While Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. If anyone wrestled with the temptation of deconstruction, it had to be Job, a righteous man robbed of everything. 
And if you remember how Job responded to that suffering, he said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be your name. And that truth, that promise you see in this passage. The Lord gives and he takes away. Verse 16, notice, the Lord gives us the laws on our hearts and he gives them on our minds. In verse 18, he takes away the memory of our sins. Can I share some good news with everyone who belongs to Jesus today? Everything that God demands from you, he has already provided. Everything he challenges you to do and be in the law, he accomplishes himself through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he gives you everything he asks from you. And this was always the plan. Ezekiel 36, verse 27, the prophet says, I will put my spirit within you, watch, and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And Paul, rejoicing in this truth in Philippians 1, verse 11, he prays that we might be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Believer, believe in what you already have. Don't just walk away challenged in all the areas that you're failing and the things that you don't have. Celebrate all the blessings in Christ you do have. In Christ, you are holy. Therefore, live holy as he is holy. 2 Timothy 1 verse 7, God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. But listen, I know that the world is real and temptation is too. And so when you and I fall short, remember what God takes away. Verse 17, God says, I will remember your sins no more. We could camp out here, brothers and sisters, but the omniscient God who knows everything promises a divine amnesia. He promises that in his relationship with you, he's not going to look back on all the ways you rebelled against him. Psalm 103, verse 12, they celebrated this before Jesus came. It says, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Child of God, how do you come to God for forgiveness? Think about that for a second. What are even the words that you pray when you come to God to be forgiven? What's your tone? What's your posture? F.F. Bruce writes, there is a world of difference between a humble recognition of your sin and a morbid, obsessed dwelling over your sin. Which one are you more prone to be? Friend, take Jesus at his word and do not doubt God's ability to forget. You might remember them over and over and again. It might keep you up at night. But when God looks at you, he sees his son, Jesus, and says, with you, I am well pleased. Go to sleep. When he sees you, he sees a child of God worthy, 
Romans 8 verse 1, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He ain't playing once and for all means once and for all. As the songwriter says, when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin because the sinless Savior died. My sinful soul is counted free for God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. Brothers and sisters, sing that song. Don't go live a life trying to please God. Live as one who already has pleased God with the righteousness of Christ and live in the power of his Holy Spirit to please him that way. What a lifetime of obedience cannot do. Jesus Christ did once and for all. Let us pray.